Hello and welcome to the Blues Guitar Show podcast with me, Ben Martin, from thebluesguitarshow.com. Hope everyone's having a great week this week. Today I've got a great episode lined up. I'm talking with El Nico, who is the frontman of the X-Ray Cat Trio and runs the Death Ray Cat YouTube channel. Uh, he's a rockabilly player, a surf player. He's a Gretchen-dorsed artist, a super humble guy, really nice dude. We had a great chat. I enjoyed it a lot. Cheers to El Nico for coming on and uh, you're welcome anytime. Enjoy my episode with El Nico. All right, we're on. So you've opened here, and I've got a cup of tea. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, I say that. I've <laughs> done the thing where it actually hasn't opened. Um, so that's quite sad. You just failed there, didn't you? <laughs> I did. And this could be the start of uh, one of those um, Beatles about videos. Yeah, never mind. Maybe I wasn't supposed to have a beer tonight. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you on, man. I really appreciate you giving, giving me some of your time. Um, you just got back from Spain, right? That's right. Yeah. We just played a festival called Rockin' Race Jamboree, which is um, like what it sounds like, like a sort of rockabilly um, festival, uh, three days, four days, I think. And they're like a bit of country, bit of hillbilly, blues, rhythm and blues, that sort of thing. Um, right, so there was, uh, Reverend Horton, he was there, right? He was, yeah. One of my faves, actually. Um, didn't get to see him, though, because I was... Uh, oh, man, it's my own fault. It starts early. It finishes early. I started early. I got t- I got tired. I got headaches. I had to go lie down. Getting too old for it. <laughs> so uh, I didn't get to see him that time, but I have seen him before. Um, so I'll catch him next time. That's my excuse. Yeah. Yeah. You've got his you've got his guitar, right? The signature one. Yeah, that's um that's one of them, yeah. Um yeah, so that's that's kind of my oldest like main uh workhorse. I've had that since two thousand and eight, I think. Um but it's it's the best guitar I've ever owned, really. The, the net plays really nice on it. Pickups are great for like that, Are they like, the stock pickups you've got in it? So yeah, they're they're the TV Jones classics, but they work really nicely for everything between the rockabilly stuff, and then when you crank it a little bit, it also works nicely for the the rock stuff as well. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my main one. But I've recently moved on to my White Falcon, which was kind of like the dream guitar. I'm still getting used to it. It's a slightly longer scale length. Right. But um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's ridiculous and shiny and spangly. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I just yeah. watched you go, I watched the video of uh, Haunted Man. Oh, cool. That one, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think um, I think I might be on the P90. I put a T, TV Jones T90 in the neck as well. <laughs> but I'm kind of trying to balance the volumes on them. Which right. is kind of yeah, it's it's one of them. It's going to have to be a bit of jiggery pokery going on. How good are you with like uh, setting up guitar stuff, like changing pickups and that? So changing them, I can do. My soldering's probably not the best. Um, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy like taking the afternoon to do it. Um, but yeah, it's particularly difficult with these guys because like you can't just take off a back plate. And then you're into the the guitar. You've literally got to like unscrew everything. And then I got like 
bits of tubing to go over the the parts and then you kind of feed it all through and it's a whole operation it's um it takes a while the first time was quite nerve-wracking but then um yeah yeah, get into it um so yeah swapping pickups is okay as long as like the work's been done like oh i'm putting two wires where where they go where they obviously go whereas if i was going to like do one from scratch i don't think i'm not really there for that just yet yeah yeah but i enjoy it it's really stressful i mean i'm i'm useless with that kind of thing right i'm one of those, one of those guys that i don't even have a toolbox it's terrible right yeah <laughs> yeah and as it's kind of taped together like <laughs> yeah well like setting them up is kind of stressful as well if you got to do any uh truss rod adjustments the first time i did that that was pretty scary mm-hmm. um because you hear horror stories about if you tighten it too much, like, oh, it's going to come through the neck or whatever. Um, But yeah, I get a little bit of like smug satisfaction every time I do something and it works. And then if it doesn't, then I'll run to my mate who's a guitar tech and uh, he'll (laughs) fix it for me, hopefully. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Nice, man. But um, yeah, so obviously um, I'm a fan of your band. I love your stuff. Thank you. X-ray cat trio. I was just jamming on that. Yeah, it's so cool. cool. And it made me think actually watching that video. Your your picking hand is so fluid. You like at the beginning of that, you're going. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get onto the like YouTube stuff that you do. But like, mm. um, do you think about that a lot when you're when you're teaching and stuff? Do I think about the right hand when I'm teaching? Yeah. Mm. yeah um, I guess I think when I'm doing the videos, I'm more I'm more concerned with the left hand because people always want to know the tabs, don't they? They're like, uh, where do I put my fingers? But then when it comes down to it, yeah, it's so it's really important your right hand, isn't it? Um, and things like rhythm, and then doing other things with the left hand as well, like muting and stuff. That's something that's really a handy skill is being able to mute so that you can keep your right hand going like the motor. And then it's, it's like that, that funky style, isn't it? You can mute when you don't want to play, but your right hand's still going. Um, so I've had a couple of lessons where that's come up actually. Um, yeah, the muting thing. Because I think sometimes you think, uh, like I had a guy that I was teaching and, um, we were kind of going through some of that stuff and, I couldn't really understand why he couldn't just do it. Like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's like a da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of going, "Hang on, what?" It's like a down, yeah, down up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you kind of think you just kind of have that. I don't know how you. I don't. You know, it's we, difficult to teach in a lot of ways. Yeah, we take it for granted because I imagine I don't know how long you've been playing, but I imagine it's a lot of years, right? Mm. So that's kind of innate in us or, and some people just have that natural rhythm and they don't have to think about it, but otherwise you totally, yeah, you really do. And it's, um, and it's always, yeah, the up down thing. When am I going up? When am I going down? And most of the time, sorry, most of the time I try and sort of think of it like the right hand is always going up and down. And then when you, when you, figuring out if you're going up or down you don't really have to think about it because that's just a little motor and it keeps going but then it's easier said than done isn't it it's uh something that comes with practice i bet 
Yeah, and it's something I found, I think, when I started teaching is that it makes you kind of break apart your own playing. Because like you just said, I, yeah. I'm the same. I go up and down all the time. And it's about it's actually about when I strike the string. Yeah. I'm kind of right. going up and down. It's about when I'm hitting. And mm. it's kind of taking apart your own playing at quite a fundamental level. And then being like, yeah. oh, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, if somebody like hones in on, on something like that and, yeah, we, we know what we're doing, it's automatic. But then it, it makes you step back and disassemble it. And, and that can take a little bit of thinking about, can't it? It's mm. like if you, if you try and play a fast piece really slow, sometimes that can be harder as well. Yeah, but that's um, that's one of the good things about teaching is um, it keeps keeps us on our toes. I think it's sort of um, definitely for me. I since doing more teaching over the last couple of years, I've definitely got a lot stronger in my playing. My mm. theory's getting stronger as well, and yeah, just enjoying learning. And then people asking me questions, sending me down like roots i might not have gone down before but yeah i'm enjoying it yeah definitely actually i heard the uh the interview you did with uh, adrian white which is really oh, cool. cool i've been trying to get adrian on the podcast but that time difference is just an absolute bastard yeah yeah it was a struggle i think i managed to get him i i think it was like 10 p.m my time and i think it was like 9 a.m sort of his time but yeah he's brilliant um He's, he's a great player, yeah. Yeah, really good player and, and dead good um, sport. And um, and sort of, because I, when I started doing what I was doing, it was kind of similar to his world. And rather than be kind of standoffish or, you know, rival, rival feelings, he was just totally uh, from the start, really kind of welcoming and generous with his time and we decided to do collabs and stuff so yeah he's a top guy it's definitely the way to go yeah are you, are you a Gretchen artist am i right in thinking you're a, so the Gretchen guys, right? I, I did get very lucky and i got one of those thumbs up uh in dorsey uh things a few years back um I think you're the fourth Gretsch guy I've had on in the last year. I'm starting to think oh, right. sponsor the podcast. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> like you and I had Paul Bagat on a little while back. Oh wow! Evans and like Eric Oh, you've had Russ as well. Oh, cool. I'm going to go see Russ this weekend. Um, he's doing his birthday show thing over in Bristol, so I've got to go and awesome. Um, take, take a drive over to there. I so I I've never met him face to face, but. Um, I've seen like what he does and stuff. And I think we were booked to play a gig when I was playing in a band and we were supporting him or something or the, I can't remember, but it didn't happen in the end. So I never got to meet him and Paul Picat. Yeah. He's, he's a good, he's really good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. He was really cool, man. He was, um, he was just talking to me from his iPhone. Oh, right. From his guitar workshop. But, wow. See, yeah, he, was, he was great. Is he building guitars now or something? That yeah, that's, that's pretty much... Yeah, he, he said... Um, I don't know about new Cousin Harley stuff, but he's he's maybe doing a new acoustic album. You know, he does the boxcar albums. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's just doing a lot of building. Right. That's excellent, yeah. He spends all day in a workshop listening to music, building guitars. Yeah. that's. I guess some people are... Um, I'm one of them, like maybe not playing as many gigs ever since uh, obviously COVID happened. That's changed a lot yeah. of people's 
um, you know, what they do with their time. So I wonder if that sort of started that off. Yeah, it could well be. How does it kind of work for you split wise? Because obviously um, for people listening, if they don't know, you've got a pretty big YouTube channel. And um, between that and you playing the X-Ray Cat Trio, but you also have a surf band. Like, how does it all kind of piece together? I'm just interrupting this episode to let you know about the Blues Guitar Show Plus membership. Plus members get access to weekly lessons each Friday complete with tabs and downloads. For just $5 a month, you'll get instant access to nearly a year's worth of guitar lessons covering finger picking, fretboard theory, soloing, improvising slide and much, much more. If you're tired of bouncing around on YouTube trying to pick up bits of information from here and from there and you find it hard to commit to regular lessons, this is for you. Details of how to join are in the description below. Now back to the episode. Well, so yeah, I reckon obviously the turning point being COVID before that, I was I just over the last couple of years before that started being full-time musician. So like scraping by from tours, doing, uh, you know, even busking and doing whatever I could. Um, and then, but I think I was also doing like a few days in a record shop, a few shifts on a bar. Um but it was mostly the gigging that was that was that I was mainly doing, and then COVID happened, and then that's when I started the video channel because I couldn't do anything else. We did a few live streams like once a week. Uh, we know a guy with a bar is a good friend of ours. He let us go in there and uh, do live streams from that uh, from there. So mm. that was towards the end of it, um, and then yeah, so. Basically, I just started it as something to do during COVID, did a few videos that did quite well. And then I I just grew it and grew it and eventually was able to stop doing my day jobs. And then when the world was open again, I was able to do more gigs. Um, I don't know if it was COVID. I don't know if I'm getting old or tired or whatever. I just, I kind of like being at home now. Uh, I love playing gigs but, you know, maybe not as much as I used to. Mm. So um, the balance now is I try and, like, stick out a video a week on YouTube. I've got my Patreon, and I try and get people to join that. Um, And it varies. Sometimes I don't have time. Like last weekend, obviously, being away in Spain. Mm. uh, Or so. But luckily, I can just do it at my own pace, which is which is cool. So I'm like, I can sort of take on the, as many gigs as I, as I want to. If there's a, an especially exciting one that I want to do, then I can take that rather than having to say yes to everything. So it's nice balance actually. Yeah. That's cool, man. How did you, how did you get the, uh, the show in Spain? How did that come about? So, so I was in another band called Hal and Rick and the Rocketeers, which is more like a traditional rhythm and blues sort of uh, band. Mm. I was just playing guitar in that. And it's kind of all like incestuous. Our uh, our drummer is Hal and Rick, who fronts his own band. So like everyone's in each other's bands. Um, and I think the, the guy booking the festival saw his other band was my band and was like, ah, oh, let's get you on as well. And then I think it was a bit of like a, a package deal for him. So, cause he'd get the flights, 
but he gets two bands for the price of one sort of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, so we pretty much piggybacked off that, probably. And I think he liked the music too as well, of course. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was it, really. Um, I've not done... We have done a fair bit abroad, but mostly it's been like driving to like Germany, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, uh, stuff like that, sort of DIY um, tours, really. Touring. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, so it was nice to be flown out somewhere. Yeah, there's a there's a guy when you get there at the airport with a little sheet of paper with your band name on it, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. This is nice. Get looked after. <laughs> Um, nice. Yeah, it was, it was. It was a kind of rock and billy weekend. I went to one of those last year. Have you ever been to the um, the Welsh one? I think it's just called the Welsh Rockabilly Fair. Maybe I haven't. No, it's in this town called Porthcrawl, right? Okay, um, really weird place. Um, <laughs> you know, they were great guys, and they they had me. And I went and did a I went and did a podcast with a bunch of people out there. Um, but I turned up in this town, and I was walking around, and I was like, "There's a lot of Elvis shit." Like, yeah, and I even walked past the church, and they had a little crucifix with an Elvis in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "This is getting weird." Every shot, yeah. and then it turns out this this town is like the the most Elvis obsessed town in the world, right? And they do an Elvis festival every year, which is oh. the week after the Rockabilly weekend. Right, they do an Elvis festival, and apparently the Elvis festival gets more visitors a year than like Graceland does. What? So the whole place just goes nuts. Everybody's dressed yeah. like Elvis. There's shit everywhere. Um, but yeah, it's a cool place. Yeah, totally. That is funny. It's funny though the the that link between Elvis and Elvis on the cross and all that he is he is like a god to people and um, <laughs> he's got that following it's it's uh, it's quite amazing um, quite amazing he's kept it up like this long yeah. after he's died you know <laughs> yeah it's like that that old thing that rock and roll will never die and in every town you go to there's there's a guy with like with the roll up jeans and the quiff and the jacket like. Mm-hmm. It's 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 always going to be a thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then once a year, they all go to Wales. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you based, by the way? I'm just outside London. I'm oh, okay. West yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I saw the I saw the Black Cat Boppers there. Those guys with those guys. Yeah, I've I think I played a gig with them actually. Yeah, um, down in oh, that was that was a Howlin' Rick gig. That was down at Magic Garden pub somewhere i don't know that was in london yeah 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 nice cool man mm. so i've got a bunch of questions to ask you but um, okay so um obviously like your youtube channel i think i'm a big fan of it and actually one of the cool things about it is i've discovered loads of new music through through it brilliant like uh, the itchy bonds yeah floor, great band barents uh whitfield yep. and the savages that was a recent one you did the yeah marriage rock thing. that was awesome how cool. do you kind of choose like do you, is it just music you feel like teaching or um well first of all i'm really glad that you said that because one of the things that i that yeah i like to do i want to teach guitar but also i know loads of bands that are really fucking Excuse me, I just swore. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> you can bleep that out if you want. I um, I uh, I know loads of bands that are really good that people might not know of just through being a music fan or playing at gigs or seeing bands tour that not many people go to. And it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I get excited about these bands that 
that aren't as well known. So it's really cool when people might see one of these videos and go, I found this band through learning a tune. I think that's really cool. Um, But how do I choose them? Yeah, it's like, uh, if I really like it, if it's like a catchy tune, and how is it? Like, I don't want everything to be easy that I put on the channel, but I do think a lot of people that watch it and a lot of people searching for videos are at like a beginner to intermediate stage. Sure, yeah. So like... And when I'm trying to, when I'm teaching someone who's really new to guitar, I like to be able to go, right, fingers here, fingers there, hit that a few times. There you go. You've got a riff. It sounds cool without too much work. Mm -hmm. So if there's something that's like quite attainable, but sounds good straight away, then that, then my ears will prick up and be like, oh, that'll, that'll make a good lesson. Like the Barron's one, that's pretty tricky really um in theory it's quite simple it's just power chords but you got to move them around fast um you might have to have a bit of stamina on your left hand but it's like um you can always try it anyway and play it a little slower um but yeah that's how i pick them if i like them and i think it'll translate also because i want a lot of the time i'll sort of tab stuff out or do a backing track, can I do that fairly quickly? So that helps as well. Yeah. When you were kind of learning and stuff, um, did you start off playing this kind of music or did you kind of go through different genres? Is real music dying? What even is real music and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I'm trying to think what the first thing I learned was. I think uh, I think the first thing I it was probably this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, it just switched off. That was definitely on the list. And I think I think my dad had a guitar, but I was I don't know why I was too shy to ask to play it. So I had to creep creep and find it and just like. Just play the strings and get used to the sounds and stuff. And um, I had some pals who um, showed me like uh, a few riffs. I think there was like Metallica, ACDC stuff on two strings, power chords. Um, but yeah, my dad was into his rockabilly and uh, all sorts. Um, but yeah, I, so I've always it's always been that in that rock side of things. Um, yeah, like punk. I got into my like, like punk rock and stuff, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you hear that in, in your music that there's that kind of yeah, cool, you know, it's kind of uh, rockabilly mixed with the clash, mixed with some surf stuff, and yeah, it's a cool mix. nice yeah. one, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, you just play what you like, don't you? It's um, 
Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. What was your um, what was the kind of first band you played in? My first ever band will have been like a school type thing where we played covers. So it will have been like Green Day, Nirvana, Jimi Hendrix, although that sounds impressive. We would have had a stab at it. Um yeah, power chords, yeah. Yeah, we were quite lucky in our school. We had a few people who could who could play instruments and, and they let us play during the assemblies, like I remember. I remember the first time I did that and and uh yeah, it was interesting. I had a change of who I was in the school. I was like, oh, it's the guy that plays guitar. Because mm. I was I was I learned quite fast to to uh, to be at a, a reasonable level. Um and then I kind of plateaued for a bit. <laughs> so I think everyone does that. I'm trying to like sure. claw my way. I'm always trying to improve. I think it's important, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think everyone's got to feel like that, but I mean, yeah. I mean, you're, you know, I think you're, you're, you're a master man. <laughs> oh, it's very kind. <laughs> how did you, um, how did you approach like when you started seriously playing? Um, did you were you one of the guys that like sat and did practice? Did you just play loads of shows with writing that you were more into? How did that kind of go for you? Yeah, I think all of that. So when I was younger, uh, my first guitar lessons were in classical because I come from quite a small town, and it, I don't think we knew uh, an electric guitar teacher, but my my dad knew this classical guitar teacher, so he he showed me things like how to hold the guitar and, and things about like technique that I might not have picked up. Um, so that was, that was really good. And, and he kind of taught me how to practice as well. You know, you, you play it slowly, you play it softly, you play it uh, harder. And I don't know, that really stuck with me. So I figured that kind of taught me how to be patient, um, which, which is difficult and not everybody gets that and and i think you need to be reminded if you're learning an instrument to like be be kind to yourself take your time and uh yeah you're gonna make mistakes but just keep at it uh things like metronome as well which is kind of a lot of people hate it but i i like it i use it as a tool to kind of get better Mm. Um, but then I think later on I got more interested in like writing stuff yeah so I think like my first band when I moved to Leeds I was playing with a guy who was writing songs but he didn't play any music uh, any instruments (laughs) sorry sometimes when I talk a lot I forget to breathe (laughs) (laughs) so I'm just going to have a little second (laughs) getting overexcited you'd be the Um, first death on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah it's important to breathe when you're practicing as well like take it slow be calm (sighs) yeah anyway what was I saying yeah so so this this guy he'd write lyrics and I would have to fit music to his lyrics and it was really fun and we kind of we got a a set's worth of music done and we you know we did a few gigs we released an album and stuff but that practice of 
uh, having to, yeah, to sculpt a song out of some words, that taught me a lot as well. And mm. how do you write a song? Like, how long do you want an intro for? What's the chorus? What's What makes a good chorus? And like, I really like a catchy chorus. Um, but then you don't want it to be too catchy or cheesy and it's like that fine balance. So that in itself, I find really interesting. And I do like writing music. Um, so that's a skill in itself. When um, you write music, do you sit with a guitar and like play and sing or are you recording it and trying to work out different parts? Yeah. So, and so yeah, yes to all of that. So sometimes I'll be like walking home from somewhere and like I'll get a tune in my head or a lyric and I'll write it down on the phone or something. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I'll just have the tune in my head and I'll, I'll play it out. And then maybe I'll record it on something and try and loop it. And then I'll figure out what chords fit behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, sometimes I'm like, yeah, sometimes I might do it piece by piece. I've got a verse and then I'll do it in a really kind of blocky way with this, with garage band I've started using now. I never used to do that, but I might sort of put it to some MIDI drums and then you can like, drag and drop it where you want it and do it that way, which is a bit more like almost like a electronic kind of way of doing it. Um, yeah. All the different ways is good. How much do you think about music theory when you're writing? Do you like not think about it at all or is it, is it a factor for you? So I don't think I used to think about it very much. Um, because I know there's, there's certain like chords that go together, like chords in a scale or whatever, they might go together. I'm only just starting to understand this, this stuff. But before that, I knew that maybe, right, that chord goes well with that chord and that chord. And it's, it's trial and error. It's like the fact that a lot of pop and rock tunes, they share the same chord progressions anyway. Um, obviously there's, there's theoretical reasons for that, but I'm still getting to grips with why that is. And I remember someone saying like, uh, the whole theory thing of music, it's, it's a way to describe, it's a dis- uh, yeah, a way to, to label things really. Yeah. So, so yeah, you might understand more theory than you think you do. You just might not know the correct terminology. Oh, for sure, yeah. Mm. It's just, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time it's like, we know that this works. Yeah. And, you know, you know, oh, that's that's hundreds of, hundreds of songs. Whether or not you know that, as like the one, five, four or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you know, that's just what you're calling it, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, and it, it, you can go down these rabbit holes and like that, that one, five, four, that numbering system. Mm. I feel like I only kind of figured that out a few years ago. Um, but yeah. And then every time I learn something new like that, it, I feel this little eureka moment and it's like, ah, oh, that's, that's interesting. And you can just go down these rabbit holes forever. Um, I, I, if I'm ever curious about something, I'll type it into YouTube and there's normally a helpful chap uh, 
explaining a little something. But it's a lot. It's a massive subject, isn't it? And, uh, it is. I think sometimes it's one of those things where, you know, they say, like, if you, uh, if you like, start learning a martial art, it's like you can learn enough to get yourself in a lot of trouble. Right. <laughs> I kind of feel like I had a I had a feeling like that because I, I when I was playing in bands and stuff years ago, I don't think I ever thought about music theory. I mean, I vaguely knew what does and doesn't work, and I would just play, you know, solos or whatever. And then when I started learning it, I felt like I started overthinking everything I was doing. So then oh, when yeah. I was improvising, I'd be like, "Oh, hang on, I need to be in this scale and this shape," and it's yeah. like block that I never had before. Huh. And then you kind of push past it, and then I feel like now I'm past it, but. I would love to see like, I mean, there won't be footage because I feel old, but <laughs> I'd love to see footage of what it looked like, what I was playing when I was just playing whatever. With, yeah. Um, anything, you know, it's kind of weird. But then when you, when you play without that sort of uh, restriction almost, then you, your fingers just go to places and you might hit a weird note that's not in a scale, a diatonic scale. Exactly. And you're like, Oh, that sounds cool. Um, and now I feel like I'm trying to I'm trying to go backwards and find that note. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. you know? so, yeah. But like, I th- yeah. How much do I think about theory now? When when I'm learning a song, obviously for in, for teaching purposes, mm. I and for myself, I always try and think like, right, what key is this riff in? Uh, what notes are coming? Is that a third? Is that a fifth? Um, just out of interest, because like I'm kind of having to like retroactively apply this knowledge on the stuff that I knew, um, and and just you just see that everything's connected, and it's just uh, it is pretty cool. I forgot what my point was. <laughs> <laughs> Music's <I'm> cool. <laughs> How do you um? How do you like you do? Obviously, you do a lot of private teaching, uh, like I do. How do you tackle the teaching the fretboard thing? Because that comes up so much for me. Yeah. Um, well, well, the first thing people normally say to me is like, I can I know like one scale. I don't know if I'm going to use this. Uh, I just picked it up anyway. Uh, oh, that's too loud. Sorry about that. Um, they'll be like. Yeah, I know, like, the minor pentatonic, but I'm stuck here, like, forever, and I and I don't know. So then, for that, if they want to play more pentatonic stuff, I'll, I'll show them the, the other positions. So, first of all, but also... But the fretboard knowledge, like, trying to know what notes you're playing is obviously important. So, like, one of the tricks I'd go for is, like if we're doing A minor pentatonic, I'll just sort of pick out the octaves. So there's an A there, there's an A there, there's an A there. So that, that straight away there, you've got like a handy little pattern, uh, this little triangle. And then you can find the other ones and, you know, go on all day long. Um, so that's kind of... Oh, and and also, you know, when you tune in relatively on your guitar, oh, not very well, apparently. Um, <laughs> like, I've got an A there, I've got an A there. And all these little patterns to connect things together, like, I find that was 
quite helpful because and then what you can do on top of that is like if you've got a little riff that starts in a like try and find that on all all your other a's and then and then and then when you've shown someone that and they've not thought about it there's normally a bit of a ah an eye-opening moment um but yeah fretboard knowledge and apart from that there's loads of little cheeky rhymes like the uh what the mnemonics um Offer you, you got your 12 frets there where everything's doubled up. Yeah, do you know that happened to me a couple of days ago. I was teaching a lesson with the guy that I've been teaching for a couple of years, um, on and off. And I, I just said something flippantly, Oh, and of course, you can also do that above 12. And he was like, What do you mean? And I said, Oh, well, 12 fret, it all starts again. He was yeah. like, What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, again, it's like it's stuff you take for granted. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then it's kind of that's one of those light bulb moments where it's like, oh, now I like there's so much I can do, like yeah. just with stuff that I know, like you know, all the simple, simple little licks that you know down here. Yeah, you can just do straight up there, and it's like you know, it's a total um, copy and paste job. Yeah, it's like an instant uh, elevation in your solo, isn't it? Like and yeah, it's like a little cheat code or something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it happened to me. Well, I I took a lesson with a guy called Daniel Donato. Do you know that guy? No, he's a Nashville Telecaster shredder, oh, and he's wicked. absolutely amazing. And uh, I went, I caught him playing in when I went to Nashville a few years ago, and he was he just blew my mind. I was following him, and I. I saw that he was doing lessons and uh, they were like pretty well, you know, quite expensive for me. It's like, but I thought, I think I should do this because he can do all this like up and down the neck stuff. And I just couldn't understand it. Mm. And um, he kind of gave me a right kick up the the butt really and got me understanding a lot better uh, the fretboard. Uh, This was only a few years ago. Uh, I, I, sh- I should go back to him actually and get a few more, I think, because it really like it was it was the best thing I did that year. It just like it really blew me away how how uh, good it was. So I think it's important to uh, always learn stuff. Uh, what was my point about him? Oh, yeah, I think he was um, we were talking about what where root notes were and stuff and. It was so obvious. I think I was just having a bit of a brain fart, but it's like, right, the fifth fret on the E there, that's an A. And I was playing that note there, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And it's like, it's obvious, it's an A. It's an A. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, right, course, yeah. you've got that top E and low E, they're the same, which is super obvious. But on that particular day, I wasn't thinking. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah little patterns and when you when you find new stuff it is just it's uh i don't know it's quite uh what's the word it's like a eureka moment isn't it yeah and it's cool because then you start wanting to throw it into everything you're playing like i was uh i was working on a bunch of country guitar over the last kind of year and just the double stops like that you know oh yeah you know you suddenly very every chord yeah 
you know yeah these cool kind of fun runs to play and that's oh, just, yeah. the, just the triads really but it's just a double stop version of it well i was that that's a, that's one that got me it took me a while to get my head around as well because it's like i think i was doing doing them as the uh the root and the the major third just those two notes and then the minor so then you've got it in that scale but then the country guys they'll they'll do the um what do they call it the mixolodian version i can't remember exactly but and also the fact that it's like an inverted uh major third yeah Yeah. so all that stuff the uh, the minor to major (laughs) yeah that one just sliding Ah. from the minor third to the major third which is just there but instead of going yeah that you're going up to that one nice and recently i just just doing that across two octaves you can instead of going you can just go oh nice nice <laughs> do a lead part but yeah awesome. finding little things like that is, is so much fun yeah i think it's yeah definitely cool to take lessons with people i, I keep thinking about um seeing if i can sign up to paul bagat's got like a um oh yeah is it like a patreon or something he does where he does yeah. lessons and i keep thinking i should learn from that guy because he's he's ridiculous so i remember learning i think he had a video i can't remember if it was a tutorial video um, but it was like doing a 12 bar I can't remember exactly but it was like yeah he's doing a 12 bar but instead of going from like a G to a, a C it was going from G to C but he was playing the shape of like uh, it's, it's like he's playing a G uh, a triad version minor but I don't know, it's relative to the something or other. I don't get it, but it made me realize, oh, I can do that shape. I can do that minor, those minor notes there instead of the yeah. record. I, I don't know. I'm very rusty with my, my theory. Sounds cool. Ace. Yeah. yeah. He used to do a lot of the tutorial like DVDs, I think, when I was younger, I think. I remember he... Yeah, I think that's where I found him was just looking for uh, lessons online. Um, yeah, him and him and uh, Setzer, he did a few um, talking through his tunes as well. And he's, he's a big guy for um, techniques and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys played just crazy fast. Yeah, yeah. How much, uh, how much learning of that stuff did you do? Like, so, like the sets, uh, the the stray cats thing. I used to really listen to them quite a lot, and I would work out quite a few of their songs uh, and solos as much as I could. Um, but as soon as he starts getting really jazzy, I start to get a little bit lost. Or if it's really fast runs, then. I'm not quite there yet, but um, but little little th- I can't think of an example now. But things like techniques and like uh, when you just sleepwalk. 
I'm playing it completely wrong, but that sort of string raking across a few yes. strings at a time. Oh, how, how hard are you holding that down when you do that? Like, how hard are you? you are you oh. holding the chord down? Yeah. Yeah, that's staying down there. And then, like, instead of strumming one string at a time, I'm, like, hitting about two or three. So I'm just taking a chord and... Um, And it gives it almost a little bit, a bit of a delay slapback sound without any any of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, little things like that. Um, that brings us beautifully onto your your pedal setup and stuff. What, so oh what, yeah. What's your kind of what's your gigging rig look like? So my pedals are all over the place at the minute. In fact, I tell you what, this is quite interesting to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is literally the bag that I brought back from Spain so I can show you what I took <laughs> we, we are um, on the plane you're limited to what 10 kilograms or something yeah, yeah. Uh, but we had a seat for the guitar and then so I'm like right I need some pedals I brought my lightest tuner here so you gotta have a tuner obviously that's some cheap Chinese thing which also you can use as a looper uh, which is handy for practicing your your face melting solos. Uh, okay, and then most important for me is this guy. Um, that's an RE20 Space Echo. Oh, nice. So it's the boss version of what was like a big actual tape big thing. Um, it's got a really nice preamp in it as well. Because I tried to use a smaller one that was lighter for the plane, but it kind of made everything sound a bit muddy and horrible. So this, I'm used to it. Just a quick slap back on it. Um, so I, I needed that. Then my next favorite effect, that's a slap back, by the way. That's like that did it, that real fast one. Tremolo is another one of my faves. Yeah. Um, so like anything from like a bit of a bow diddly kind of thing or generally when I'm doing like a slower tune, I might like yeah. a bit of tremolo on there. Love that, especially with baritone. Uh, and then finally, this guy, which is a Tube Screamer clone. I got oh, nice. for, so slapback, Tube Screamer, tremolo. Mm-hmm. That's it. I had a backup uh, overdrive thing, which I didn't use. I was going straight into a Fender Twin, oh, and cool. it just sounded great. Yeah, they're great amps. I'm having a problem at the minute of getting the exact right breakup tone. Mm. So, like, the stuff I do, it sounds nice when it's breaking up. Just breaking up, but, like, not too much, like, punk or metal. And it's just getting finding the right balance. Uh, that's one of the hardest things to do, though, isn't it? Because you want that. You want to be able to like dig in and get some crunch. Yeah, totally clean here. But you mm. also want to be able to have that kind of like, well, like you say, stick some tremolo on and have a. Yeah, you want to hear the notes. It's a slower trim. Yeah, yeah. and you want to be able to just be able to move between those, don't you? And it's, it's, it's yeah. Really yeah and then all, all the amps are different and then 
yeah. different rooms. You're going to have different settings. It's a constant, constant battle. That and the band setup is is you um, upright bass and just drums, right? Yeah, so you've got for, a lot of space to fill, like sonically. Yeah, so a lot of my favourite bands are three pieces. Um, I don't know why, um, but yeah, you you play differently when you're when you're the only guitarist. What do you do? Do you play like with another guitarist or? So I, I dep in a band where I'm, yeah, I'm one of two. Yeah. Um, but I do a lot of solo gigs just. Ah, yeah. Um, brilliant. It's amazing. You play completely differently. Like yeah. you play stuff because, you know, if it's yeah. just me playing acoustic, I can't do like a, you know, yeah. That would be weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you do. You end up playing completely different stuff. I do a lot more finger picking and stuff when I'm playing acoustic. Yeah, great. Yeah, um, yeah. That's it. And I don't know. I'm kind of used to only being being the only guitarist in the band. Although with the surf thing, I've been doing gigs with another guy and then another guy on acoustic as well. So that's making me sort of step back a bit. I'm like, oh, cool. I can just shake some maracas for a bit or something um like um but yeah for some reason i think a lot of the the rockabilly kind of bands that i liked they they were three piece and it's like yeah something something cool about that but yeah there's pros and cons to that yeah definitely and i think it's um and it's normally that set up the guitarist is singing as well isn't it and yeah up yeah that's cool. Mm. I, I, also, I saw some pictures on your website of you guys playing shows in just the craziest looking outfits. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that. Uh, I imagine that will be from the Halloween gigs that we do. Um, so yeah, basically the bar I mentioned that I used to work in, um, I used to put on a Halloween gig every year and yeah, so I don't know what have we had. We've had uh, the last one was a medieval theme one, so we were. I was a knight. Um, I think Adam the bassist came in as a was he was like a jester. Um, we did a prehistoric theme one. I got one of those. Um, that's probably the best one actually. I got one of those. Suit, right? Yeah, the blow up dinosaur suit, and. Uh, we came onto the Jurassic Park music, you know, uh, na, 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 na. and uh, it, I couldn't see a thing. I can never see a thing with these things, but that's part of the fun. And uh, and then I think we had some like cave girl go-go dancers. That one was the best one, I think. And then we did like an alien one where I painted myself all in grey. I had like a grey alien head on, couldn't see a thing. Um, but the photos are always cool. Um, but yeah. There's a photo of you playing uh, with a completely naked chick in front of you too. Oh yeah, that'll be, uh, we see this, this sort of music we play kind of, it goes hand in hand with that burlesque world. So yeah, um, that will be from a burlesque night where oh, I've been okay, cool. trying to keep my eyes on the, on the job. <laughs> trying to play the right notes while there's somebody getting undressed in front of me. Um, but yeah, we've, we've done some really cool stuff, actually. Done some interesting stuff. There's a lot of cool places to play in Leeds. I used to go, mm. we do the odd tour and we'd go and do the, 
like the A2 Academy up there, but also the cockpit, you remember that? Yeah, yeah. It's still there. No, the cockpit isn't there anymore, but the people that run it, they do they do nights in, in various other places. I think they're involved with that slam dunk. Uh, I think I've got that right. I don't know, but there's, uh, there's loads of uh, music venues in Leeds. Um, my favourite's the, the Brudenell Social Club. Do you know that one? No, I don't. So it's like an old working men's club but it's it's been done up and it's got a really nice sound system and uh just built an extra room on it and they get a lot of touring bands going there it's like a nice sort of medium-sized venue um but yeah that's that's kind of like one of those one of those places we love playing yeah do you do a lot of the like most of your shows local so like we've got one on Friday with the surf vehicle. There's a band called the uh, Schizophonics playing, and they're this. Uh, I don't know where they're from. They're American. I don't know where in America. The the singer kind of reminds me of uh, like you know MC Five sort of early punk. Um, but he's thrown himself around on stage. He's got like a strat, and he, he plays it amazingly, and just throws it around and does all these crazy dance moves. And it's like, yeah, MC5 or some kind of garage punk stuff, just a, a drummer and a bass player. So we're supporting them this Friday. So occasionally we'll get a nice gig like that. Um, that? That's at the Brudenell. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be cool. Um, haven't made any records yet, so I'm just going to sell some T-shirts. Um, that's, with, that's with the surf band, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something I'm working on. Yeah, yeah. I think I, yeah, I think I saw a video of you, um, you guys playing. It's the that's the X-ray surf something, right? Yeah, X-ray surf vehicle. Vehicle. That's it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I watched one of the videos. Yeah. Yeah. That's, cool. that's the Hungarian wake. That was the tune. Yeah, that's it. Which is pretty much a Dick Dale style thing um but yeah Dick how, do find, uh, how do you find writing instrumental music versus writing music with, with lyrics oh, i find it loads easier loads really? easier yeah lyrics i find really difficult um because i always end up cringing myself out or like thinking too deeply about it but, but then when you're writing riffs or tunes it's like i like that that's cool <laughs> It's not like I, I get more self-conscious about lyrics and mm. singing as well. I just think with when you're playing, I don't know. There's none of that. So yeah. I find it a lot easier. Well, it's a lot less sort of personal, isn't it? When you're yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. Just exposed. Mm. Yeah, I actually I was talking to somebody a, a couple of days ago, um, a podcast interview from last week. Um, and he's a Nashville recording guy. And we were talking about how when like he started doing his own music, the difference when you're playing somebody else's music versus when you're playing your own, like when you're playing somebody else's music, it's like, mm. I didn't write it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. It's funny that. Yeah. But yeah, but it's, yours, it's just different, isn't it? Totally. It too. It's totally true actually. Cause like, yeah, when you're singing someone else's tune, yeah, it's not, it's not your problem. It's not your in a soul you're expo- exposing and also it's like oh that's a real song that's been done by someone else like that's that's okay but whereas when you've done it yourself it's like 
I don't know, you might get that, uh, uh, what's it called? Imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. I'm just a I'm just a dude. Like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I've just shoved some words together. And yeah, I think you got to be really quite confident and uh, yeah. sort of strong-willed to, to, to do it. Well, that's why I prefer instrumental stuff anyway. It's yeah, easier. Yeah, because yeah, your full-length album had quite a lot of instrumental stuff on it, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, we always do, yeah. I get sick of the sound of my own voice, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the best um, quality in a, in a singer. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I see myself more as a guitarist, and, and then people like songs, so I'll, I'll have a go. Yeah. It's cool, though. I think that happens a lot in the genre, like... Um, like Raz, who we were talking about earlier, he released a whole album of instrumental stuff. Nice. And it's great. You know, yeah. it's, you know, I think in that genre of music, it's not always necessary to have, yeah. to have vocals. Yeah, definitely. And like, if you can get a bunch of nice sounds, you know, get your tremolo on the go and um, there's so many nice noises you can make with guitars, isn't there? So, mm. and other stuff, <laughs> you don't necessarily need it. Um, but yeah, I think when we do record the surf vehicle stuff, there will be like some backing do's and ours and, mm-hmm. you know, just to add to the, I'm seeing it as more of like a, you know, like an abstract, abstract painting and like you, you throw stuff on it and it's going to have textures and, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. That sort of thing. That sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess is the opposite of like, I watched yeah, the, the sessions, um, stuff you recorded where was he did like a live session with uh, X-Ray Catch yeah live at home uh, yeah in fact I'm just going to go over here and do the hard sell yeah do it my uh, my late my label guy Carl will be pleased with me for this <laughs> uh, you can still buy that I think the, uh, live at home it's got like six tracks on it uh yeah, so there was a couple of, there was one instrumental on that and then two covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're pretty like... That's Live at Home H-O-H-M, right? That's right, yeah. Um, and the covers are kind of obscure. One's by Flat Duo Jets, who are like this two-piece uh, rock and roll band from somewhere in America. And the other one was... My Mistake, which is by the King Bees, which is another quite not very well-known American rocking band. So Nice. Yeah. Is that, is that a picture of your Gretsch on the back? Yeah, on the back, we've got the Gretsch, and that's the uh, Fender Reverb Tank, which is one of my secret weapons. Nice. Yeah, I mean, the tone on that album is wicked, man. It sounded great, yeah. Nice one. Yeah, the guy Russ recording it is uh, an old pal and he's he knows what we like and he knows what he's doing. Mm. That's all recorded live, right? No overdubs, no nothing. It's just you guys playing. All fully live, that, yeah. So there's some mistakes in there, but it's okay. It's the best <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not too many. How did the Gretsch thing come about? Um, why? How did I start liking it or... No, how did the uh, kind of like Gretsch endorsement thing come about? Um, I got lucky and also I pestered some pals. <laughs> so like my friend, there's a band called The Zipheads. I don't know if you know them. Like a psychobilly band. Um, 
But the more to him than just psychobilly. They kind of got this. I don't know. He's a really good songwriter. Ray is, and um, he he also he got the endorsement. And I just basically slid into his DMs and was like, uh, "How'd you do that?" Then then he introduced uh, his friend Jamie, who knew the the big man at, at Gretsch, basically, and they were both. Everyone was just dead helpful. And there was a bit of prodding going on, and and uh, yeah, I just sent I sent loads of uh, records and pictures of me playing my guitar, and it's like I've been playing this guitar for years. I love the guitars. How about it, sort of thing? And um, yeah, he was super nice. He's now retired. The uh, Joe, the top guy, mm. the marketing dude, but he was super lovely and. Uh, sort of rang me in the van when I was driving back from a gig ad or the band in the back. And I was like, it's like a Wayne's world moment, you know, where Mr. Big comes in there, gives you the phone. It felt pretty, pretty smug. Um, but yeah, he was, he was dead lovely in there. Yeah. But, uh, that's it really. You play anything else? You just and, play Gretchen's or like, do you? Oh yeah. I play everything. Uh, well not everything. I love, I love tellies. I've got like a Frankenstein telly thing. Um, I've got this old K thing, which that's like a 1960s catalog guitar thing. Um, yeah, I mean, if I could, I'd have one of all the different kind of guitars. You can, I love, um, I like Jaguars. I like SGs. Uh, I love... I've not I've not played everything yet really, but um yeah, I just love guitars, really. So your dream guitar is it the is it the White Falcon? That was that's it, yeah. And I've I've got it now, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna probably find something else that I want. Maybe I'm gonna go down an amp rabbit hole. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking at Fender Champs and stuff now. It takes more space. Yeah, well, that's the problem actually, because what I use is way too heavy, and um, I could do with something a little bit easier on my old man back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great, man. So, uh, what have you got coming up on the uh, on the gigging front, on the YouTube front? Anything in the kind of pipeline? So, so gig wise, I've got this Friday. I don't know when this will be out, but um, a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, in that case, I can't think off the top of my head. I'm, we're playing up in Newcastle with the Surf Vehicle. We're going to be picking up some more gigs um, and, yeah, finishing this recording. Um, and what, what? Sorry, what else did you ask me? And on the YouTube. YouTube-wise, uh, there's going to be some more lessons because I haven't got as many gigs coming up in the foreseeable, hopefully it'll be a bit more active. Um, like I say, I like to try and do one a week and I did enjoy, I do enjoy it, like finding something a bit obscure that people don't know. Cause it's easy to kind of go down the route of oh, everyone's going to click on this Brian sets a thing or um, I like to balance it with some, something not not as well known so maybe i'll do a bit of that i might go back to these rocker rockabilly cards there's a few i have not done on there um 
but yeah also i like i like to look at the requests and um yeah. if someone comes up with a cool request that i'll go go with that what but um oh so these <laughs> they're just sat there because i'm supposed to be using this they're called string stars right um uh-huh. my friend did the art for them and he gave me a pack and i just thought wouldn't it be cool if i just like shuffle them up and then right oh, i got ray charles so i'm going to do a lesson on ray charles now so i've done a little series of um of that um and there's a few you've not done yet like they're all like Dwayne eddie bo diddley screaming jay roy orbison like classic rockers you know yeah, nice. So I might I might go back to that because that was good inspiration. Well, then the other day, Sister Rosetta Tharp came up. Yeah, and she's amazing. But I'm I'd need to properly sit down and work some stuff out because it's not easy. Yeah, she's got that crazy kind of yeah, very the kind of train rhythm thing going on. Isn't yeah, it? very kind of loose and fluid way of playing, and it's not going to be like a. 20 minute job that that's a proper sit down and do it properly because i'd always try and find like an easy one that i can do fairly quickly mm-hmm. um but sometimes it's worth taking a bit more time yeah they take a long time to make those videos don't they? yeah yeah it's not, a, it's not a quick thing no especially when yeah you add in the um the tabs and um but also just speaking to a camera is um you know, I'll I'll make loads of mistakes. I'll say mm, too much, and that adds to the editing. But um, there you go. I like this though because um, you saw the thing I did with um, Adrian, the chat. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing a bit bit more of that. Maybe maybe you'd like to come on, on my channel yeah, and do a little chat. Yeah, yeah. that'd be cool. Um, yeah. But, Let's do it. Yeah, that would be cool, man. Because I've got lots to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Oh, that's great stuff. We better wrap it up around here. But um, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, I'm a, big fan, I'm a big fan of all the stuff you do. I'm going to try and um, catch you guys at some point. Um, yeah. So when you're coming anywhere near London or the South, you've got to let me know. I will be, yeah. Our label guy's based in Hastings. So uh, I don't know if that's... Okay. I don't know if that's your way at all. It's, I mean, yeah, it's between me and the sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but normally we'd try and do a London on the way down. So yeah. maybe we could do that. Yeah. That's been really nice to meet you. Sounds good, man. Well, cheers for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, every, anybody listening, uh, check out uh, Death Ray Cat on YouTube and uh, the X-Ray Cat Trio. And uh, you'll find all the stuff over on your website. X-ray. <laughs> Are you fully fretboard confident? Do you know where the notes are, how they connect and how they move up and down the strings? My latest book, The Triad Method, is all about using simple three note shapes to completely unlock the fretboard. This book is absolutely full of light bulb moments that are going to demystify the neck three notes at a time. I've compiled a huge number of diagrams, shapes and exercises based on over 10 years of teaching this stuff to make it as simple as possible. Download The Triad Method and see for yourself today. Link is in the description below.